Welcome to Life Snacks. This is a podcast on a mission to help a woman navigate post-grad life together through snack-sized stories, but life-changing advice. This is for every one of us out there dealing with the realities of life after college that no one talks about. For those of you that may be feeling lost, you are not alone. Join me on this journey to get to the bottom of the shit we weren't taught in school. We'll discuss health, wealth, relationships, careers, and how to truly create our greatest lives. We've got big visions and big missions, so we're breaking them down bite by bite to help you make your post-grad dreams a reality. I'm your host, Lauren Tierney, and let's get snacking. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode. I'm very excited about today's episode. I feel like I always say that, so maybe I'll have to stop telling you I'm excited. But I'm really stoked about this episode. It feels like it's such a full circle moment for me. I interviewed two women that I used to take their fitness classes at Equinox in San Francisco, actually. And now together they have founded Alavi, which is a collagen-based protein bar. Their story is awesome, and it's also just really relatable. They talk about their first careers working corporate jobs in San Francisco and teaching fitness on the side and how this side hustle evolved into two best friends starting a business that they felt there was a need for in the market. Alavi protein bars were created to have clean ingredients, high-quality protein, collagen, and the perfect taste and texture, and I promise you it's just that. I got a sample bag which had eight bars in it. And I think it lasted me three days because I had like two or three every day. They're so good. They have three flavors, chocolate goji berry, blueberry, and chocolate chip cookie dough. Not to hate on Quest Bars, but I know we all used to do it. Did you ever used to microwave your chocolate chip Quest Bars or your cookie dough Quest Bars? I did too. Um, Well, (laughs) if you do that with their bar, I think it's even better. And it doesn't give you a stomachache because it's not full of a bunch of chemicals. It is literally my favorite protein bar on the market. I'm not just saying that. So I sit down with Michelle and Nikki and talk to them about what it's looked like to build this business and everything from getting the flavors right on their bars to what it was like to go out on their own and really pursue this full time. They also offer their advice for people in their first careers looking to make a pivot and their thoughts on what the level of passion and drive is really needed to pursue a business full time as an entrepreneur. This interview is so great. I love these two women. I know you all will too. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. Hi, Nikki and Michelle. Welcome to Life Snacks. How are you? Good. It's great great to be here. Good morning. I'm so excited to have you both. And I'm so excited that you love snacks as much as I do. So I'm going to have to ask you my favorite question first, which is what is your favorite snack and what was your favorite childhood snack? Well, aside from our collagen protein snacks, of course, uh, because (laughs) yeah, because those are obviously number one in our hearts. Um, For me, I would say my favorite snack right now um, are these uh, cactus nopales, um, kind of crunchy, flavorful chips. Um, Our good friend Regina, I want to shout her out. She is the founder behind them. And it's something that I'm on subscription for. Nikki's on subscription for. Mm -hmm. We're obsessed with it. Uh, So that's my current favorite snack. And then past favorite snack as a kid. 
kid. That's really hard to just pick one, but I would probably say fruit gushers were my favorite snack in school. Those are classic. Yeah. Mm, so good. Um, I also am obsessed with Nummy Sticks. As Michelle mentioned, we are both on subscription and we often are like, can I steal one of your <laughs> until my subscription box comes? Um, so I, I love Nummy Sticks. I'm also really loving Three Wishes right now. Um, just eating those straight out of the box. Um, so very nostalgic childhood cereal. Like I loved uh, like Honey Nut Cheerios as a kid. Um, which would maybe be one of my favorite snacks. My parents always had like the little Ziploc containers in church or wherever we oh went. Oh my gosh, like, yes. Cereals that we could always have. Um, but kind of favorite personal snack um, comes to mind, like Costco trail mix, Costco pub mix, any of the varieties uh, of Costco snacks. Costco is just a dangerous place in general. Dangerous place. Um, and then also just like the, the gummies and gushers, the fruit by the foots and fruit roll-ups. I know. I think back to like all the crap I ate as a kid that was so just good, like fruit by the foot or like bagel bites by the dozen every day after school, like the classics. Yeah. Mac and cheese count as a snack. Oh my gosh. I mean, after school as a kid, like my snacks were grilled cheese, quesadilla, mac and cheese. Like there was no snack. It was just like anything with cheese and like some carbs. Yep. Yep. Okay. Same page. Yes. (laughs) I love it. Okay. I want to start out by asking you both what you went to college for and what you thought your career path was going to look like when you graduated and kind of what you both are doing together now. Yeah. I think it's actually a really funny question. So I went to UCLA, so political science and Spanish. And I generally thought that I was going to work for the CIA or foreign service. I spoke three languages. Uh, my concentration was international relations. I was taking classes on like politics, fascism, like nuclear weapons, just really grooming myself for a career in foreign service. And then I took one elective course in nutrition and physiology and I fell in love with it. I thought it was so fascinating to learn about macronutrients. And I'd always struggled with with gut health issues and digestive issues. And I thought that's just my life. I had to deal with it. And then it wasn't until I did an elimination diet, which was one of our projects to understand, you know, food sensitivities and allergies that I realized I was lactose intolerant and gluten sensitive. And so that just kind of unlocked this whole new passion for health and wellness and and has led to um, a lobby and, and, and teaching fitness classes and just our mission of, of helping people feel healthier and stronger in their bodies. So that's, that's my story. Yeah, I went to Boston College. I graduated with a business degree, um, concentrating in accounting, but then I also had a second major in the School of Arts and Sciences because I just love to read and write. So it was a philosophy-based major that was unique to BC. Um, And my career path was very much along the accounting route. I went um, and worked for PwC um, in their assurance practice and then later went on to do M&A, Mergers and Acquisition Due Diligence, for a couple of years. So very much was... um, on the kind of business consulting track that I had planned for, um, very much cookie cutter kind of trajectory that I was on. And then you just put your head down and realize five years later, you're just like, wow, okay, I'm still here. Um, still not super happy, not super passionate. No, this isn't really what I'm supposed to be doing, but not quite knowing how to get off the track and not, you know, without a direction forward, not having the courage to just pull the plug without having a next step. At least that's just my personal uh, kind of mindset throughout it. But um, fortunately, this one here got (laughs) pumped some courage into me to to really think bigger and um, think about what truly makes me happy and and what where my strengths are. Um, And so that's, you know, lobby came into the picture and got me off that that corporate path at PwC. Okay. So you both started out very differently than what you're doing now, but I'm sure you have so many skills from those 
journeys and past jobs and lives that you hone today. But tell us first what Alavi is and what your mission to start this brand was. Yeah. So Alavi to me, and I want to let Nikki jump into because she also captures it really well, is just this platform or this place this brand really, that's just so much bigger than a functional snack or a collagen boosted protein bite, right? It's, you know, we, the same way as fitness instructors, we want you to leave our class feeling energized and empowered and, and motivated and stronger in your body. That's exactly how we want you to feel after interacting with our brand, with us, with our product. And every single piece of, of interaction is so thoughtfully curated and intentional in interacting with our brand. And and there's just so much love and, and, um, heart in, in our brand. So a lobby is really just, you know, I think of it as love, but it's also a play on the word elevate, which is meant to th- convey this elevated experience for snacks, which usually are something that is just as an afterthought or something as a bridge or something that's usually compromised in integrity to be cheap or easy. And so we're really re-envisioning, you know, functional foods into convenient snack products to deliver, you know, a need for consumers, but elevating it with ingredients that help your body thrive. Yeah. I really coming back to that, just, um, a sense of community. It's something yeah. we've really honed in on the past year, especially and how important it is and just how amazing, um, you know, and stronger we can feel in our bodies when we're empowered by one another, but also by the foods we eat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, it's a very intentional, um, and motivating factor for us as we build a lobby is to always kind of come back to that, uh, that feeling of how we can make people do what they're already doing, but maybe just a little bit better, maybe just a little bit stronger, or just to kind of push to the end of that day. Um, because that's how we were feeling just burning the midnight oil in our jobs or whatever we were doing, you know, just needing a little bit, something extra, like a snack can really turn the day around. Snacks snacks do turn the day around. No, like the minute someone says, do you want a snack? I'm like, yes, that that would be lovely. I would love that. Um, You know, it just, it kind of instantly puts a smile on your face and instantly, you know, maybe makes a negative situation a little bit happier or, you know, whatever it might be, a snack can just make the world a bit brighter. So I know Alavi is a collagen based bar. And can you explain why you wanted to go this route and what kind of the differentiating factors of your bars are versus other bars in the market? I know they're very, very delicious, but... (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So collagen, just a quick refresher is the most abundant protein in our bodies, right? It's the glue that holds our body together. So it's behind our hair, skin, nails, connective tissues in our joints. And so it's a, it's a protein, right? And as you age, starting around your mid twenties, your natural collagen production begins to decline. And so consuming collagen, ingesting it is a very convenient and, and most accessible way to help restore some of the collagen you're losing as you age. Consuming collagen is not a new concept. In fact, plenty of cultures around the world, Eastern cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, either eat all parts of the animal or have broth soup. So it's in their diets. The issue with the modern American diet, it's very processed. It's either, you know, you're eating muscle meat or you're just completely plant-based. You're not getting those key amino acids that um, are found in collagen. Right. So our mission is just to take, you know, collagen, which is growing and and becoming more increasingly popular and mainstream uh, in powders and pill forms and integrating them into food products. Because when you're consuming food, that's the 
best, most bioavailable way to absorb your nutrients. Right. Um, and so we're kind of taking the convenience of a supplement, right. Um, but the food is medicine approach of, of eating real food and combining that together to deliver collagen as a food product. Right. But in a palatable way, because yeah. not many people want to be sipping on bone broth or eating chicken, you know, <laughs> parts of the chicken that they're not into. So just making it accessible, making it convenient. And that was something that Nikki and I, just for our personal lifestyles really craved and, and didn't find in the market, something that was convenient, but also in the bar format, it, that whole industry is definitely one of those kinds that likes to cut corners, use cheap ingredients. Yeah. Um, they don't prioritize the consumer experience from taste texture. And that was something that we were so frustrated with in a very huge category, no, no one met that need, right? Yeah. No one is formulating for the consumer. They're formulating for profit. And so me personally, I was creating these collagen protein bars because I had such a sensitive stomach and, um, I felt so afraid to eat anything, right? Because I was like about to go teach a class and I didn't want to have stomach pains or feel so bloated. I couldn't, you know, do a crunch and demo that for, for my class. And, and that isolating feeling of, you know, I don't feel like comfortable eating something was hard. So that was the solution is to create my own. And then sometimes I forget it at home. And I just wish that I could just buy it in real life. So it's a very selfish reason that, that I was creating this. And Nikki is an endurance athlete and she's also on the go and also has a demanding job. And she has, um, you know, really good taste and her, her palate is exceptional in, in noting, you know, taste and texture and, and all the artificial sweeteners that are in every other yeah. product. Um, Nikki picks up on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't as sensitive to Michelle's as Michelle was to a lot of the products out there, but I each ha I had my favorite, like, okay, I like this one for taste. I like mm -hmm. this one for texture. I like this one on the bike. Like there was no bar that I felt like I could I really enjoy. There was always something missing, something left to be desired. And I think a lot of people feel that way. If they, don't, they think about it like, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. So, and I was always, I mean, if you looked in any of my office bags or backpacks or gym bags, like there was bars in there. God knows how old they were, but, um, you know, always had a bar on me at, at all times because would always be hungry and needing those are just the quickest way to get, you know, a quick bite of something between meetings or running between, you know, different places, um, on the go traveling. So it was, you know, very much something that not all of our friends were in that same boat. And for whatever reason, either couldn't have them because of, you know, digestive reasons or, or, or allergies and sensitivities, or just because they didn't really enjoy eating them. Yeah. Um, which is more our case, but I was really, when Michelle started talking about this was really interested in the collagen aspect of, it. and I think anything for me where I start to hear my body is no longer creating this naturally as I age, you know, just the limitations that mm -hmm. your body starts to experience with long, like, you know, in a long, in the longevity scheme of things. For me, that was like, those were the moments where the light bulbs were going off. And I was like, I need to be taking this more because I had collagen in my house. I would put in my smoothies whenever I could, when, when I was making smoothies at home, but that wasn't every day and that wasn't consistent. Um, and that definitely wasn't something I was doing on the go. And so I was like, I need to be supplementing with this more. How do I do that? And this just seemed like the perfect way. And then Michelle was just really great at formulating um, a recipe. That was something that I wanted to eat. And it was really turning like the bar category normal normality on its head in terms of having something that, that was awesome. It's so interesting. You guys talking about collagen because I know like a lot of people put it in their coffee and I want to mm -hmm. know if you know, cause I've read things about like, when you put it in caffeine, it doesn't digest the same. Like, what do you know about that? I mean, I used to put vital proteins, collagen in my coffee every single day. Mm -hmm. And 
one day I was really trying to cut costs with just like my life. I was like, Lauren, you buy so much shit. You probably don't need. And I was like, is this making a difference? So I stopped taking it. And I haven't been for the past like six months. And I've just read different things about putting it in your coffee. So I'd love to hear if you guys know anything about that. Cause I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. So a lot of people, I mean, I think I want to give nods to Vada proteins for yeah. ritualizing the experience, like from a consumer, like marketing brand awareness perspective, like hats off to them. Totally. Um, however, you know, when you're putting any or pairing anything with caffeine. So I learned this when I worked in integrative nutrition, um, the best piece of advice we give to anyone when they're taking their supplements or their nutrients is to not pair it with their morning coffee because caffeine inhibited absorption of nutrients. So while you can still absorb a like some of the collagen, you're not absorbing it as well when you're having it with caffeine. Additionally, you know, the whole benefit of collagen is hydrating the skin mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, making sure it's getting to your cells, caffeine dehydrates you. So it's kind of counteracting everything. Um, so one other piece that we did in our formulation is that we integrated natural sources of vitamin C. So collagen is best taken with vitamin C. And you can see that in the goji berries and the blueberries that they're in our products to help with the bioavailability of it. Um, and so putting in hot water as well, that also, you know, denatures the molecular structure of the collagen. So there's all these like small nuances to most absorbable quality. Mm -hmm. Um, you'll still absorb it, but I mean, collagen's not cheap. And so mm -hmm. ideally you get the most bang for your buck. So that's really how we approach formulation. Yeah. And Michelle, you said you were making these at home, right? So how is it adapting that home recipe to like, Oh, we're, we're making a business out of that. Like, what did that look like? And what were your biggest pain points in that for both of you? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was just kind of like mad scientist putting stuff <laughs> together in my kitchen, um, and, and making tweaks and stuff and really just prioritizing taste and, and kind of getting all the ingredients together in one format. And while I was working my corporate job, I was just kind of researching like co-manufacturers and recipe development and, and what that would entail, just Googling constantly. And then I found this one co-manufacturer that does help you formulate and they create prototypes and you essentially tell them these are the ingredients I use and this is what I want and just kind of rolled the dice and took a gamble. And I was like, here's the ingredients that I'm using. This is the texture that I want. This is the taste that I want. This is the, the mouthfeel that I want and was working with food scientists on their team are really, really talented and they created prototypes. And then that back and forth prototype revision, I would have Nikki try to have like our friends try it. And then we give feedback and it was very much an iterative approach. Um, we went through, I think for that flavor, like over 10 iterations. Um, and so, yeah, it's working with a food scientist. It's asking opinions and feedback of people who are in the industry or who have consumed a lot. And, um, once you kind of finalize on a recipe, then you, um, test it on large scale machines. And then from there, then you're like, okay, it passed the test. We can produce it in mass. And then you put in your purchase order and, and you go into production and it kind of is a whirlwind when yeah. I talk about it. Um, but, but yeah, that's essentially how it happened. But one thing just not to gloss over is you went, decided to go straight to a co-manufacturer. So yeah. most food companies start in a test kitchen where you mm -hmm. can make small batches. Now granted that is like you in a test kitchen, making the small batches yourself, packaging them, and then, you know, maybe yeah. selling them on retail. And, but then that hurdle to go from a test kitchen to a co-manufacturer can be a huge pain point for people in their recipe development, because it looks very different when you're making them even on test kitchen equipment to large scale mass production equipment. Just, there's a lot more pressure, a lot more power ingredients get broken down. Like it has to be able to scale to large um, production equipment, which a lot of founders, I think, 
have to really adapt their recipe more than they'd like, or the, something changes mm-hmm. um, in that process. And so going straight there allowed, you know, lobby to really from the get-go be ready to go into mass scale production overnight. If we wanted to just kind of push the button yeah. instead of go like, Oh, I guess people like this. Okay. Let's go take it to a mm-hmm. co-man and then start doing larger production mm-hmm. runs. But it's a capital investment. That's why people generally don't do it. It's a lot more money to just go order 5,000 units of something and hope that, hope you know, it's good. Hope yeah. it's good and that people want to buy it or else you're sitting on a lot of inventory. Totally. Yeah. I was so, just thinking, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say it's definitely a trade-off. And, and thank you for mentioning that because it was a lot of capital. And most co-manufacturers don't do small production runs. I think we just kind of slid in and and kind of <laughs> begged our way through. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really challenging to even take that gamble because you don't know if people are going to like it and you just have to trust that, you know, your formula and the prototypes that you tasted, um, are, are going to be well received. The biggest pain point I would say for us is the lead time mm-hmm. and that we ideally like want it right away, but there's like all this behind the scenes work of securing the ingredients and going into production, scheduling that production package date, design and package design, and FDA guidelines, making sure, cause it's a food product. So you have to make sure everything checks legally and it's safe for consumers to eat. You have to do testing of the product. So, so there's a lot, there's no, I guess like easy way to go about it. Each, each path is going to have its pain points, but, um, I would say, yeah, those are our pain points, but it was very much, um, streamlined by working with the co-manufacturer directly. Mm-hmm. I want to ask, so it sounds really fun in my head. Like, okay, <laughs> you send them recipe and they send you one and then you like go back and forth, but I'm sure that that's capital intensive to go back and forth. So was that, what was that process? Like, were you like, this is good. Or were you like, it's good, but I think it could be better. One more try. Like, how did that work? Yeah. I mean, so it's, it, every command's going to be a little different in terms of how they develop formulas. The way ours work was kind of a, a package deal. You pay for a certain number of iterations and if you can do it within there, great. Otherwise they're going to kind of add mm-hmm. on additional fees. Once I'd say we got kind of a base recipe that we really enjoyed, we work around that. And then we think about, okay, what ingredients can we pull in to that base to create a new flavor? Um, but, you know, there's a lot that we don't know that goes into it just as food scientists, like, you know, working with ratios of powders and like just the nutrient profile, like we want to maintain this level of protein. Okay. What has to happen in order to ensure that, that yeah. we can maintain those, you know, those levels of, of nutrients that we want. Um, you know, I think it's definitely a mad scientist story probably in, in their kitchens, but, um, for us, it's worked well with that process. And fortunately, we work with a team of experts that we really enjoy working with. So the feedback is very iterative and um, usually very successful. And yesterday we just finished some work. And so it was like, you know, it felt like this really celebratory moment when you do finish something. Cause it was, that one was a lot of iteration. So it's, um, it's really fun. Those moments where you get to yeah. try things. It can also be heartbreaking. Where you're like, this is not, not it. Yeah. But there's also, like you said, like, they're like, is there room for just a little bit more perfection yeah. in here? Because we are that way. And like, yeah, again, I feel like that'd be so tough too. Cause you're like, I think it could just be a little, yeah, like, well, what cost is it? It's yeah. not even the money, it's the time, right? Like the yeah. back and forth of like recreating another prototype. Yeah, I mean, it's sent here. Like this one is very, very impatient. And I, and I started to like kind of pull from that energy where I'm like, where is it? Well, I love it. Like, I love it. I've, I've heard you guys on podcasts and how you like showed up at the facility and you're like, Michelle's like, I'm like, waiting no, until no. we get it. And Nikki's like, really? Like, it's okay. And you're like, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, the way I see it is like with every day that you're not selling in the market, yeah. you're losing money. Right. Yeah. And it's just like from day one, Nikki and I were like, we're going to start a business. This isn't like some side hustle. This isn't totally. some hobby. Like I quit my job, like straight to focus on this. Oh, like, yeah, I love that. <laughs> we're both full time. And this is a lot of risk, a lot of skin in the game. Right. And I'm like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Right. We're going to like really take this as far as we can. And so it takes that kind of mindset of like, okay, we are putting our names on this. We're in the front of our company, right? And we're both already such perfectionists that we will not stop at anything less than perfect because that's what everyone other company does is they just chug a bunch of like products out there to just turn it out just, and yeah, they don't even care. And, and that's really what makes us stand out is, is the thoughtfulness. And so it's also balancing, you know, making it as perfect as possible and, and, and incredible experience, but at the same time balancing, okay, we need to go to market. We need to sell, we need to, you know, make revenue because we can only be in holding patterns of formulation for so long because that's time not being in the market selling. Yeah. So it's definitely a balancing act. And, and I would say that Nikki and I are really good at, at, at like getting to like the quality of a good product. Um, but at the same time balancing, like we're still a business at the end of the day and we need to be in the market selling and, and how do we balance that on top of supply chain, like issues on top of, you know, COVID on top of, you know, everything, every hurdle that you can imagine that is like falling into our laps. I, I think we've done a really good job of getting faster and better. And, and you learn, like I did, we made so many mistakes in formulation. Like we learned about like binding syrups and protein honey. ratios and, and yeah, and sweeteners, seasonality, you know, honey in the winter, yeah. mean, like mm, yeah. things get really hard. Like what? all them job breakers. And we're like <laughs> in tears. We're like, yeah. And it's so personal for us. So we, yeah, we care so much about the experience for the consumer. So it's, it's definitely like the learning curve has been really fun to see. I bet it's been a roller coaster and a half. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear a little bit. Okay. So once you had the product, you went to market with it and I was listening to you guys talk about um, using dating apps a little bit to market, which is hilarious. <laughs> and I want to hear about that as well as how you got into air one market in LA. Cause that's a pretty huge accomplishment. Like every health brand that's cool and trendy is in air one. So can you tell us about both of those experiences and just like how you're approaching your marketing? Yeah. I mean, when you're constrained on budget, you get creative. Right. And so it was a pandemic. Um, it was also very like crazy social political climate. Um, so even posting on social media and Instagram, we were so paralyzed sometimes of what to say, um, just cause we didn't want to sound tone deaf or upset someone. And we had this like active, busy lifestyle, like empowering brand and people are upset and at home and losing their jobs and, and people are getting upset. The same problems. Yeah. yeah. You know, and personally. so, and we got furloughed from Equinox. And so we were battling our own depression and anxiety from all that. So, you know, we were at this moment where like, okay, well, how do we market? Like, how do we build a brand in a pandemic all digitally? No events, no fitness studios, no like partnerships that we can really leverage. And so we were just on dating apps and we, it wasn't intentional. We were already on dating apps. And, I, and then Nikki, actually, this is her idea. She just put in the website of our company. And well, like, like all the questions are like, the world would be better if there were. Yeah. And there was more at the time we were billed by more build bars or, you know, ask me about this. I mean, the whole profile was just a sales pitch. Yeah. Bumble yeah. caught on to that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they banned us or maybe guys got upset and they like, yeah, somewhere so like, funny. <laughs> And then I went on to hinge and hinge. I was just, I learned it's kind of like a sales cycle where it's like, and this sounds kind of like crazy, but, um, I learned not to 
explicitly state like what my company is, but kind of like lead in the guy to ask us what ask me Get him in the DMs. <laughs> yeah. And so then I'd be like, oh, ask me about my company. And then they'd ask and then and then it kind of like funnel them into like different prompts and, and figure out, you know, what resonated with them, which is male, male active males or target consumer bars. And then I would use that copy for for ads. And so I got to just like test consumer um, real-time feedback on certain captions. Yeah. So it works for us about like hair, skin, nails, and, you know, may not always land with like an active, busy guy. You know, they totally. love the muscle recovery and the energy aspect of it. Yeah. Or just, you know, having something that does taste good. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was marketing, but also it was great, um, like revenue. So I would, you know, convince guys to, to buy products. And since the pandemic, I feel like guys were lonely and, <laughs> well, <laughs> and great. Um, probably cooking for the first time. Yeah. And so it was a great deal. And so we'd meet up for like walking dates in San Francisco. And there's some guys that I dated I'm still good friends with. It wasn't like purely business, but, um, yeah, I'd like meet up with them, deliver them their order and we go on a walking date we chat and then I'm like, okay, bye. And then <laughs> on to the next. <laughs> oh my God. I love that so much. That's hilarious. Um, so tell me about getting into Erwan market in LA. Yeah. I mean, I would just say we were relentless. Um, and so getting into any retail store, like we were telling, being told by coaches, don't try to get into retail. They're not letting anyone in, you know, it's the pandemic. And so we were discouraged actually by some pretty big people in the business, but everyone was just somewhere that it was just, it was a dream account of ours. Um, it was like you said, like one of the best places for health and wellness foods for discovery. It was in LA. And so I just kept following up. I applied online through the website and then just had a, a calendar invite, invite to myself every two weeks to follow up with updates of this is how we're performing. This is where we got mentioned in the press. Like this is, I'm confident we're going to do well. And kept going unnoticed or Customers are asking for this. Mm-hmm. So just really selling us really, really well. And then we sent samples, didn't hear from them. We're pr- pretty sure the samples got lost. So we send them over again. So just very much like staying on top of it. And I think once they tried it, they're like, wow, this is actually really delicious. The product spoke for itself. Yeah. And then we onboarded in the middle of the pandemic. So I, we didn't have any idea of like where it was merchandised and going to the stores for the first time, seeing on shelves with masks on and, and it was by the air one. Yeah. Nikki never been to air one. This place is great. Yeah. I'll never leave. You can bury me here. (laughs) So, and that was like our first retailer. So it was like a huge, like learning curve for us on, you know, figuring out like distribution and pricing and, you know, merchandising and um, yeah, it's just been a great discovery place. And, and it's really exciting to see our brand evolve and grow and, and build relationships with each of the different store managers. But um, yeah, I would just say it was just being relentless and (laughs) and following up and and continue to um, provide them with our success from online sales to them so that they knew that this is a strong brand. Mm -hmm. I think that's such just a good lesson for life to follow up and be relentless. I know I had Ali Bonner, who is the founder of Granola Butter on my podcast, and she talks about getting into Whole Foods. She was like, I just like kept emailing this person. I was relentless, but some people ask me like, Oh, how'd you get so-and-so to come on? I'm like, well, I just followed up. And then I followed up and then I followed up and tell people, tell, you, no, there's Mm -hmm. never any hurt, like any harm in just asking. Right. 100%. That was something we really would just tell ourselves again and again in our first year of business, especially just ask if the worst I can say is no, but if you continue to ask, I think for me, it was like, why do we keep asking though? Like, oh, they annoyed by us. But yeah. like, you, like, as you mentioned, I think some advice, I was like, until they say no, please stop contacting me. 
then that's where you pull the cord. But um, until that point, yeah, you can kindly keep sending emails and offering to send samples. And I think for us, we just know like once we can get the product in the hands of the right people, mm -hmm. it does speak for itself. Like they get to try it and like they know the experience and pain points of other similar bars in the category that it, it once people get to try it, like, okay, this is something special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think men are a lot better at that than women. Sometimes like we're like, oh, like Nikki said, are, am I annoying you? Like, do you think they're annoying? Like, no, they just, they just are ignoring your email. Like think about all the emails you get. Right. right. I, I would love to hear if there's any other lessons, like stepping into this entrepreneurial role in your life. You think you've really honed new skills or like big lessons you've learned. I would say big lesson for me is to focus on what I'm good at and ask for help in what I'm not. There are certain strengths that I know I have. Um, I can like pitch to like the cows come home and I love like selling and I love, you know, finding new ways to get us like promotions or, or like um, just more display. But I know I'm not good at numbers. I know I sometimes I'm so exhausted that I am not the best at writing like the nice emails or I like can be a little short tempered or just, I can be a little, um, um, impulsive um and like sloppy and designing things and nikki's more of like the beautiful at like refining things and, and writing things more thoughtfully and and she has like fantastic soft skills and and she is able to just come across digitally so so wonderfully and i feel like i can be a little curt and abrupt and <laughs> but it's a perfect balance because i could take two weeks to write the perfect email <laughs> it's going on two minutes so, so i'll like literally be like walking on the treadmill and just like bust out an email and just like, here, can you make this nice sound nicer? Just yeah. like give her a skeleton. Yeah. And so I think that's been the best thing for me is just like realize like I can't do everything, mm -hmm. but like, I know what I'm good at. And then, you know, share that like with Nikki or just ask for help or, or, you know, ask for advice, I think too, has been really. We're both, I think, so misaligned in our careers and doing, getting to do what we were really good at and what really fired us up. Like, I know I was in a job that did not allow me to like really lean into my strengths. And it was just like, you know, every day just felt like I was pushing this boulder up a hill that just kept falling back on top of me because it was, I wasn't doing what I was good at. It just felt so defeating um, to not really, you know, day in, day out, just do something that doesn't make you feel alive and make you feel like you were or doing what you were put on this earth to do. And not that we, that I'm even doing Doing that now, but just like, I feel like I'm finally getting to use the skills and the, the, the parts of me that I know just come a little bit more naturally, um, in the job to bring this company forward. And, and same with Michelle just watching her do what she does so well is really like, it's, it's really exciting. It's really cool. And I just hope that everyone gets that chance. If it's a company they start or a company that they get to be a part of in one way or another, that they get to do what really fires them up. And, you know, I think we don't do a good job raising kids to think about, where your natural abilities lie, what it is that you enjoy, because everything just comes um, so much easier from that. I, you know, I think we're following money, we're following yeah. stability and security um, and job trajectories that maybe don't align with with who we are and, and what we, what we do best. Um, and so that creates this friction. And I know we were both finding ourselves in our career and in your mid twenties, it's a hard, hard point to be able to decipher what it is that you do want to do or that you are good at or what career path is going to give you that. And so I, I know that paralyzing feeling. Well, also nothing is secure, right? Yeah. Nothing is secure. Like I always carried the thing of like, you know what employment in California, it's always at will. Like they could always fire you. They could furlough you. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, that mentality shift has been huge in that, like no job is ever secure. And so that's, I think what kind of fed the entrepreneur bug. I'm like, well, 
I believe in me. I'd rather take ownership of, of my career and my future than hoping that a boss is going to advocate for me and, and hope that they're going to look out for me and, and help me get a raise. Like I trusted my abilities and capabilities more. And I'd rather put all my eggs in my basket than like pray and hope that I land a great job that has great culture and great, whatever, and great pay and salary. I was like, or I can kind of create that on my own. And, and just knowing that, you know what, everything, every situation is going to be unstable. Every situation is going to be uncomfortable. No job is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm going to be working crazy hours in my twenties, I'd rather be building a brand with my best friend on something that I really care about. Right. Mm-hmm. I'd rather burn the midnight oil doing what we love mm-hmm. as opposed to working for someone else. Yeah. And we both wanted to go back at our MBAs. Like we yeah. were like, okay, how can yeah. we get off the path we're on? Because I think that's a really common way. It's like, I'm just looking at my MBA and that's like allows you to read. Totally. It's like, maybe like, I should just go back to school and pause right. this for a exactly. second. Like, you know, buy a couple of years of being able to figure it out, but you spend a lot of money doing yeah. that. And yeah. you know, I was saying for the GMAT, you were thinking about also studying. And then, I mean, this, this company came up right in the nick of that time or like, mm-hmm we just started pumping money into the business and realizing that this was a real life MBA. We were learning lessons on a smaller scale, maybe to some of the Harvard business school cases that people study, but like in a really cool way, like we were getting yeah, a lightning speed. Yes. At lightning speed, getting like to hold the reins um, and really direct, you know, where the ship was moving, which was so cool. I would talk to friends that were in business school and I would tell them about like, you know, the supply chain issue we were having and like, oh, okay, wow, that's like way better than the business case that I read, you know, or, or whatever. And every experience is different for people. That route is great for some people. I think for us though, this has been so much more fun and hands-on. Um, so I'm don't, you know. You guys literally just cool. answered the question I was going to ask about like feeling stuck in your first or second career. Cause I think so many people don't just young women, young people, we go to college, we get our major. We're like, this is it. And then we get to the job and we're like, is this it? <laughs> like, and I know you both were teachers at Equinox and that's how you met, but was there a time where you like, maybe fitness is going to be my full-time thing or, or I mean, that's a harder industry and it's obviously very tough on the body, but did you, did you explore different ideas of entrepreneurship before going this direction? And then I guess what made you feel like you could do it and like take the leap? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great question. I mean, I definitely fantasize or maybe it's glamorized, glamorized, um, being a full-time fitness instructor. Unfortunately, we were living in the most expensive city, San Francisco. And yeah, I would see people do it full time and either they had to commute crazy hours to get an affordable apartment and work crazy hours. It's like early morning classes or evening classes. And then, you know, you, there's, if you get injured, you're out of luck, you're out of work for a week. And so I definitely thought about it. I'm like, oh, it would be so cool. But the realistic aspect of it, and I tried picking up like jobs or like extra classes and it just drains the body and we teach hit classes yeah. and we take the classes with our, our, our members. And so it, it really does take a lot on you. And so it would degrade our classes the more we would teach mm-hmm. as opposed to delivering amazing, like couple classes a week. And so, um, I would say like, once I kind of accepted that I would never be a full-time fitness instructor, um, because it's just something that is a passion that energizes me and I didn't want it to hate it by doing it so much. Um, I, I did play around with like, kind of having like a travel blog. Um, and, uh, I was like, Nikki, will you write for it? And it was just very much like this core passion of, I was put here on earth to help people live healthier, travel healthier, feel healthier, move, move, um, better. Um, and so that was where it started, but the leap happened just out of such frustration for wanting a product like this in the market that I was like, I don't care. I'm going to 
dive in and do it and see where it takes me. Yeah. That's my story. I similarly, I knew I get so much joy from teaching. And as I I knew the minute that that became a full-time thing, it was going to evolve into something very different. Um, and so I, I, I knew I was never going to be a full-time fitness instructor. Um, would I love to have integrated it more? Yes, absolutely. But I also felt like I was constantly mastering the art of the side hustle up until a lot of you was like, I, I mean, I took jobs at Instacart and at Whole Foods, just like, I love to be in grocery stores. I worked at Lucky. I was like constantly just like looking for other things to like, not honestly, not for the money, but more just to kind of distract myself from like the monotonous grind of like the corporate job with time that I definitely did not have. But it was just, I, I was someone who was like, I just love to have a lot of different things going on. I think I missed the days of college where you got to have, you know, all these different parts of your day besides just going to class. And I missed that when you start working you suddenly realize your life becomes your job for so many hours of the day you just don't have the energy to do anything else mm-hmm. um and so I, I missed kind of having you know other things to do and I was like just like, you need like a babysitter like I just like would love to just like you know do other things to kind of shake up just the routine of this grind I was on but not really enjoying um again with time that I just didn't have but yeah I think the entrepreneurial spirit definitely very much came from starting to work with Michelle and starting to see like, okay, this is really exciting. This is really fun. This is something that I think I could see, you know, just having, being able to make such an impact um, in both of us doing what we were put here to do and to put that into a product and into a business. Like how cool, like that is the dream right there. And I knew, I didn't know that I was going to get a co-founder. I didn't know that I kind of just like, didn't really think, I think um, when doing this, I kind of just, Which is sometimes good. I kind of move forward. I kind of sometimes like let things catch up and I'm like, Oh yeah, that kind of happened. Um, but yeah. So when I was starting this, the best piece of advice my friend gave me, who also had her own companies and she was such an expander for me was get a co-founder. And you know, that was dumb. She's like, and she said, it's lonely at the top. And that really like cut deep in me. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, what am I building this for to just, you know, have all this money or like whatever, like be successful and and not have someone to share it with. Right. And so Nikki and I, our friendship was just starting to blossom. And I was like asking her for help. And, and she had just such a great branding eye. And I just always admired Nikki from afar. And, And anyone who takes her class, she just has this like beautiful way of being aspirational, but also approachable, right? Like you want to be your friend. Like, I remember I came up to her. I'm like, I just want to be your best friend. <laughs> and she just has, <laughs> and, and she just has this like warmth about her, right? Which is, okay. it's just so infectious. And her classes are just so phenomenal. And the thoughtfulness she puts, like she curates and, and mixes and DJs her own music. And, and that thoughtfulness, no other fitness instructor did. And she practices every single one of her classes. And I'm like, this girl has grit and hustle. And so I just knew in the back of my mind that like, she is someone that I want to work with or just have close to me in, in any capacity. I'd like, I wanted her to be in my orbit. And so when I was thinking of, you know, who would I bring on? She was already in the picture. I was already texting her at four in the morning and she was getting back to me at four in the morning. And Nikki, like you have food, I'll try it. <laughs> I know. I love, yeah. I get up really early as well. And yeah, there's like and, certain people that know I'll reply at like 445. I'm like, hi. Exactly. Exactly. And she, and I already knew she had the hustle. She had the grit in her. She'd jump from class to to spreadsheet in the locker room. And I just knew like, that's the person I want on my team. I know she's going to work hard. I know she's committed and passionate and she's also shares the same lifestyle. So it it was very natural to, to let that progress. And, um, and now we're yeah. yeah. And the, I definitely, I think the ideas really came to life in the Equinox locker room, sitting there in towels together. <laughs> talking about how I'm going to price it. How oh my gosh. It look like. I, I love. Mean, and you guys have... still teach at Equinox part-time, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah. 
Before I get to my closing questions, I want to ask you, because I think this ties into you both had previous jobs and now you're like pursuing this entrepreneurial journey. Do you think you have to be passionate about some like your job or whatever you do every day in order to be successful? That's a great question. I think if you're going to start a company, yes. I think this starting a company, we have realized there are so many doors that get slammed in the face. There are so many, so much criticism that you take and at least, you know, and it's hard to just put yourself out there yeah. day in, day out. You're showing up online to investors, to your retailers, to your customers. And especially when you're online, that's, it, it's hard because you don't really get to see, you know, how other people are perceiving it. And sometimes that one negative comment digs in over the like tons of great comments. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think it takes that passion and that, you know, devotion to keep showing up when you're exhausted, when you don't feel great, when you are insecure, when you're anxious about the future. Um, but if you want to, you have to find something or else whatever you're doing is just going to drain you and exhaust you and really deplete and dim your spark. Um, at least I know I was in a job where it's like, I always just try to find something that I was interested in, whether it was the company we were looking at or the relationships I was building there, like something that made me want to get out of bed and get to work in the morning. And it didn't have to be the biggest thing in the world. It could be something small, but just enough to kind of keep that like flame flickering. And I, for me, I think it, it, I come back to the word passion, but just, you know, curiosity, interest, whatever it might be, you need something there. And if it's not, and if you just can't figure out a way to find that or, you know, harder it, like, then you, you maybe have to get off the track, but I think to build a company, there's got to be yeah. a whole lot of that, not just yeah. a flicker of flame. It's got to be like a burning fire inside yeah. of you. But in your sense. early twenties, like your first jobs, like 99% of the time, Absolutely. it's not going to be your passion job. It's not going to be your dream job. And I think it's okay to be realistic and be like, you know, this is just for me to, you know, get experience and to make connections and network. And I've met some of my best friends in my first mm-hmm. two couple jobs. And that's your opportunity to, you know, empower yourself to ask for other people's opinions in in different departments or or take on projects or, you know, like Nikki did, like outside projects of work or volunteer or, you know, take a friend who you look up to that's maybe a couple years older and ask how they got there or listen to podcasts such as this um, and to continue that personal development investment, right? Because you, it's going to take a while. Like we say this all the time, we're starting this company at 22, we crash and burn. Um, Thank God we started this at like 27, 28 because we had the experience and the maturity and, and the, you know, background to weather the chaos that is entrepreneurship. Um, And so I would say it's okay to, not have something that you're passionate about, but just to be open and and curious to find things that excite you um, and and get you up in the morning. Yeah. Those are both great answers. I want to ask you what advice you each would go back and give yourself when you had just graduated from college. Such a good question. (laughs) I was, oh man, I I just wish I had taken a good look in the mirror and aren't honestly just like inward reflection in a reflection of where, um, you know, what, what it is that I really enjoy. And because for me, when I enjoy something that generally skills kind of flow from that, it's something that I tend to be good at. I wish I had taken just a deeper look at that and 
and really thought about a career in that, at least to put myself on a path towards that. Cause I was really putting myself on a complete 180 different career into this, like driving myself into the ground and wanting to pull my hair out. Um, I really just wish I had slowed down for a minute and just thought more, would it have taken me off the track I went on? I don't know. I probably would have still ignored it, but I just wish I had been a little bit more thoughtful and intentional when I was really, you know, the classes I took in college to set up for a major, to set up for a career. And again, they do not have to, like, you do not have to go to college for something and then go into career and something. So maybe I just wish I had kind of gotten into a different career path, but I think I just really got myself on this this very much like stepping stones of where I thought I had to go, what people were telling me to do. And I wish I had just a little bit more of an inner voice and strength to be like, you know what? I don't think that's going to make me happy. I don't think that's where I'm supposed to be. I don't think I'm going to be good at that. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, I really wish I had just listened a little bit more to, um, to where I thought I would want to find myself in five to six years. Um, but fortunately, you know, it sh- that's part of my, that's part of my story, part of my journey. And it shaped me to, to this point today. Thank goodness. I think I, I go back and I'm like, I was put to be in San Francisco for a reason. I think to meet Michelle and to meet the people that I did and to start the company like that, you know, that all came together in a very beautiful way, but, um, it definitely took some time. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> I would say, um, to bring yourself, it's never too late to learn. Um, you know, I came out of a major that was political science and Spanish, and I wanted to get into marketing and, and like more creative like roles. And I felt so insecure about my major because you still, didn't have a marketing degree. And, you know, when you're, you don't have any job experience, um, for applying for jobs or internships, they're like, well, what experience do you have? You don't even have the right degree. And I was like, you're right. Like, why would you hire me? And I, and I think I would have told myself, well, you can learn, like you can learn off YouTube. You can go onto all these blogs and forums, listen to podcasts. You can teach yourself. And I think that's what I wish I told myself that it's like never too late to reinvent yourself Mm -hmm. and to just own, no, I am a marketer. No, I am, you know, this and, and, and to, you know, constantly invest in yourself and, and keep that mindset that, okay, if you don't know now you can take the time and and learn in a weekend. There's so many resources right now. We learn off all the time off YouTube and Google and, and asking around and, and surrounding yourself with people who were maybe a year or two above you or who just have the lifestyle or the path that you want or the, or the career that you want. I think that's so important because if you're hanging out with just your friends that you always grew up with that maybe don't share that same value system or that, you know, forward looking mindset that can stifle you a little bit. So I'm really saying, you know, you know, don't be afraid to branch out to, to be seen as weird or different or, you know, crazy for, for pursuing something that's maybe not on the path that, you know, your parents would have wanted you on. Um, and to, yeah, invest in, in learning so that, you know, you do have that skill set and, and to advocate for yourself. That's so spot on. I had a mentor tell me once, like, okay, you go to school your whole life and then you graduate and you think you're just done learning. Like people are like, oh, that online course or whatever it is, a lot of it's free now. Like, I'm, I don't have time to invest in that. It's like, we have so much more to learn. And I sometimes think like, when we go to college, it's like, I wish I thought about, like Nikki said, what I was interested in, right? Like I just, I'm like business major. Everything's a business. That makes sense. But like kind of thinking about, okay, what do I want to learn now? So I appreciate both of the advice you offered. And I want to know where our listeners can find you and buy your products. And then I guarantee you probably can't answer this, but do you each have a favorite flavor? 
Um, well, uh, well, we'll start first with, um, where to find us. So you can go to a lobby.co. So that's spelled E L A B is Victor I.co com it's co and um you can connect with us on instagram it's at hey a lobby so it's h-e-y-e-l-a-v-i like hey, uh, hey. <laughs> and then our personal handles i'm just my first and last name at michelle rizavi and i'm at nikki cole dot elliot that was a childhood name <laughs> i will link that all in the show notes so Perfect. you search for it <laughs> more importantly you can find a lobby snacks too at some retail stores in la here erwan has mentioned um, we're trying to break into more and more fitness studios, um, mm-hmm. a couple, a small handful of stores in San Francisco as well. We can give you those to link in the show notes. Awesome. And they're also in our website too. Absolutely. Um, Love to connect up through our website. because then we can, you know, keep in touch and get to yeah. where we offer a lot of exercise snacks and wellness snacks. So, oh man, I love, I love a play on the word snacks. So. Right? Anytime. Absolutely. Yeah. Just small, you know, small bite sizes. And, and do you have a favorite flavor? Yeah, it just, it, it always rotates, I will say. Um, right now, my favorite flavor is cookie dough, but last week it was blueberry. Oh my God, that's just been second dessert because I sometimes put it in like the signature of my, um, of my email of what I'm snacking on. It's been blueberry for a while and it's shifted to cookie dough this week. So I think I'm just like, I need some chocolate, I need some cookies. <laughs> I've seen you guys bar. microwave the cookie dough and it reminds me of speaking of bars that upset your stomach and just like destroy you. But I used to eat Quest bars in the microwave. And it reminds me of that because I literally used to eat them at work in like San Francisco. I'd put them in the microwave and people be like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm microwaving my Quest bar. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited that you guys came on and it just feels so full circle to connect with you. So I really appreciate it. Oh, likewise. This is a blast. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Michelle and Nikki. And if you want to buy Alavi bars, head to their website linked in the show notes and use the code LIFESNACKS for a discount on your purchase. I promise you, you won't regret buying them. My current favorite right now is chocolate goji berry, but they're all delicious. And I highly recommend the cookie dough bar in the microwave. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on Instagram and let Nikki and Michelle know what resonated. You can tag them at HeyAlavi. And if you haven't left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate you taking the time to do that. And as always, thank you all so much for tuning in. If you're still here at this very last part of the episode, I greatly appreciate you. And I hope you're finding value from this podcast. It means the world to me to find out people are listening and to hear what resonates with you. So that's all for me today. And I'll be back next week with another episode.